there. Okay. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. No, nice to be with you all. Everything's good. Nothing um, particularly uh, out of the ordinary or um, no new developments in my life <laughs> since we talked last a few days ago. <laughs> Things have not changed too much, and that's not bad. Uh, so things are good here, California. And um, it's nice to be with you. I'd like to just go ahead and take the questions. Sure. So there's six questions so far. Um, Gopal Nandini, do you want to ask your question? Sure. Hi, Krishna Gurmaraj. Nice to see you. Yeah. Um, so it's not so much a question as to um, other than can you explain something a little further or kind of speak to something in your um, class about Lord Nityananda? You said how Balaram was unable to fully participate in the, in the pastimes of, of Krishna and the gopis. And then it was like, he was waiting to come as Lord Nityananda so he could really kind of participate in that, in those pastimes more fully in Lord Chaitanya's pastime. So that's just like been baffling me thinking about Balaram being unable to do something and having to, to kind of like wait out his chance. Um, and I was just wondering if you could speak to that, like what are, what should we understand from that? Cause it, it seems baffling to me. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, first of all, I don't think he's waiting to do that, but I think that, um, that the uh, Leela works in such a way um, that uh, new opportunities arise going forward. Uh, I've often described the nature of bhakti as a school of Vedanta, bhakti Vedanta, the Vedanta of Gaudiya Vaishnavism is, is one that is uh, interestingly, not only about being like most schools of Vedanta are about, they're about being rather than trying to be, which is material life. We're trying to be fulfilled. We're trying to be um, this or that. All of that and this put together couldn't amount to what we actually are. Hmm? So they're about being rather than trying to be. And bhakti is certainly about being. And there's the atma is full in itself in comparison to anything it could um, acquire, if you will materially through a material identification through that it couldn't possibly be more it would be it would be less or less aware of its own completeness the atma that said um our school of vedanta is also about being in another sense in a, in a transcendental sense so there's um the possibility for the atma it's called tatasta which means it can function it's on the borderline. It can function in the material world under the Maya Shakti, or it can function in the spiritual realm under the Sarup Shakti. So Bhakti is constituted of Sarup Shakti. It make, can make its ingress into the Atma in a way that the Maya Shakti cannot, because Maya Shakti is inert, objective. The Atma is subjective and conscious, and the Sarup Shakti is super subjective and also chit, conscious. So it can make ingress into the Atma without changing the constitution of the Atma. The Atma can be infused with Bhakti Shakti, if you will, with the Sarup Shakti. 
And then there's a becoming, right? That um, it can experience becoming a person in the Leela. Hmm? And that Leela is ongoing and dynamic. So there are always new Leelas, um, even though the nature of the place is eternal, that would, would, would seem to say it has no beginnings. Hmm? It's made up of or uh, moving under the influence of a Shakti. Hmm? That's its very nature is it's constantly creating, re reinventing itself, so to speak. So let's say, for example, in Brihad Bhagavatamrita, we find Gopakumar enters into Goloka. There's a new Leela. Here he, here he is. Hmm? And everybody's surprised. And, and now he, he, and he becomes a family member of, of, uh, of Sri Dham and, and so forth. And, uh, you know, he fits in seamlessly and whatnot, but it's, it's, an, it's a new Leela. Hmm? And he's a new person there. So if you take the Shakti, its very nature is that it's constantly arranging itself for the pleasure of Krishna. According to his desires, it's like a shadow following him, making arrangements for the fulfillment of his desires. So there's a, there's an ongoing kind of eternal becoming hmm, that's positive, and unlike the attempt to become more in material life, which really puts us in karmic debt and will become less, so to speak. So, um, so therefore, it's not that Balaram is, you know, waiting for the opportunity to participate in in Gorlila. He's complete and full, and uh, and fully satisfied in himself. But when a new opportunity presents itself, this being Krishna's pursuit of Radha's Bhav that turns into Gorlila, well, he's going to follow along, hmm? and. Um, it's just a way of talking about it. It's not to say that, again, that he's incomplete in the Brajalila. He does participate in the Madhurya Lila in a couple of ways. Hmm? One of the ways I mentioned the other day is that he indirectly participates in it by keeping out of the way because the older brother Bhav hmm, in the presence of the gopis would cause the gopis to be a little restricted in their exchange with Krishna. Hmm? Whereas if you take the older brother out of the picture and you just throw Subal in there, ah, whatever, you know, he's like us. We're all the same age, you know, we're all, all the same stature. So we can say whatever we want. Hmm? So in order that their exchange, loving exchange with Krishna will not be restricted in any way, Balaram stays, stays out of the picture. But indirectly by doing so, he's facilitating it. Hmm? Like I said, he doesn't tell on Krishna. It's not that he doesn't know, right? that Krishna's romanticizing with the gopis. Uh, while he may tell on on other things, so he ate, he hate dirt, you know. But then in another way also, in his extent, his expansion as an antisage, of course, he's there as the bed, the flower bed of Radha and Krishna. Hmm? How could you be less, you know, it's pretty involved <laughs> in the Madhurya Rasa, in, indirectly. Hmm? He has a Shakti Tattva, it's not him, but it's his Shakti, Anangamanjari, who participates in Lila, Madhuri Lila also. But he himself is presented with a new opportunity with Gaur Lila, so to speak. It's eternal, but it's, again, it's, a, it's we can talk about it with the limits of language and say it's a new opportunity. And this uh, this gives him an opportunity, as, as we know, to, to speak about the Madhuri Lila openly in a way that he couldn't 
in the Braj Lila, broadcast it, bring attention to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, why he came, um, and let people know that the opportunity for pursuing uh, the kind of bhav that he himself is pursuing hmm, um, of sorts, hmm, not exactly the same, but um, what Radha experiences is experienced by her manjaris as, as much as anybody could experience what Radha is experiencing. Hmm? So he, he, he lets people know that. And uh, so that's just another Leela. But the two Leelas are not like, they're happening at this, we can say a new Leela happens, but they're actually happening all at once. So the, the, the Gore Leela is eternally existing. Krishna Leela is eternally existing. Gore, the Gore Leela Prakat, or the manifest Gore Leela in this world is constantly repeating itself. And the Krishna Leela in this world is constantly repeating itself. So he's always participating in all of these things at the same time. But there's a way in which we could make the case that Gore Leela is more complete in terms of aesthetic, uh, possibility of aesthetic rapture of rasa than Krishna Leela. Krishna found some limitations in his own Leela, hmm? in the Prakat Leela. Um, and understanding the measure of Radha's love and the fact that she had an experience in, in, in Rasa that, that exceeded his own, well, he finds the limitations of his Leela. So the solution is another Leela. We've got to resolve the problem. And that's Gore Leela. So if you go deep in Krishna Leela, you find Gore Leela. You go deep in Gore Leela, you find Krishna Leela. So they're all happening at the same time. Hmm? But there's a case to be made, theologically, that Gore Leela is more complete more fulfill, it fulfills, it makes up for the shortcomings in Krishna Leela. So the same would hold true then for, for if you want to talk about it, like limitations that Balaram experiences. Does that help? Yes, thank you. That was the, the completeness was what I was. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Eric, yeah. do you want to ask your question? Eric. And good morning, Maharaj. Hey, Krishna. Um, so I have my question is regarding some statements I've come across while reading some of the earlier cantos of Srimad Bhagavatam, um, mainly dealing with the modes of material nature. So from my understanding, Sattvaguna is considered relatively desirable compared to Rajas and Tamas because it inherently begets mental tranquility and provides a stable ground for the cultivation of knowledge and ultimately spiritual life, but it isn't inherently uh, spiritual unto itself. It's still a material uh, quality. But, um, however, sometimes I've seen instances where the spiritual world or other aspects of transcendence are referred to as Shuddha So this is a little confusing to me because I was under the impression that all things spiritual are by definition near Guna or beyond the modes of material nature. So even if sattva is shuddha or pure, wouldn't it still be in with be within the purview of material nature, with, since it's one of the three modes? Um, could you please uh -huh. clarify this? Yes, I understand your question. And um, a couple things. First of all, um, we do say that the paravyom, the spiritual world, is nirguna. 
the nirguna in this sense means that the gunas or in Prabhupada's terminology, the modes of material nature are not operative there. Mm -hmm. uh, they are sometimes compared to ropes binding the jiva, right? Um, at the same time, when we say that the spiritual world is nirguna, guna also means qualities. So we can say the modes of nature or the qualities of nature. Uh, um, so while nirguna means beyond the modes, beyond qualities. Uh, qualities here means um, differentiation and so forth. Um, so while we say that the spiritual realm is nirguna, it means that it is beyond material differentiation, material qualities, because it is variegated in nature. And Krishna does have many, many qualities, good qualities. And he has form and so on and so forth. So there, there is, um, it's uh, determinate rather than indeterminate. It's differentiated, it's variegated, rather than being near guna in, in, a, in absolute strict uh, sense. Sometimes when we say um, uh, something has no qualities, sometimes the scripture says has no qualities, it means, if we look carefully at it, that no material qualities. I've given an example before that a disciple of mine once went home to visit his family and his father said in the refrigerator, I put all kind of food in there, make whatever you want, you know, so he made a sandwich of avocado and cheese and lettuce and so his father came in and saw him make it and he said, aren't you going to put anything on it? Because if he didn't put meat on it, he thought he would. He kind of thought you didn't eat, you know. But the disciple looked at the refrigerator as if it was, uh, you know, that was not meat was there, but it wasn't edible. Hmm. It's not so. <laughs> so there, there may be qualities, hmm. but certain things, but material qualities are not there. It doesn't mean that there aren't qualities there. Hmm. So that's one thing about the spiritual world. But yes, you're right. It doesn't have any influence of sattva guna there, what to speak of raja guna or tamaguna. But the term sudasattva does not refer to the material mode of goodness, pure goodness. Sudasattva is um, sudasattva visheshatma, prema suryamsu samyabhav. To quote a verse of uh, Rupa Goswami and Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu defining bhava bhakti, he says that um, the ingress of Sandi, Samvit and Ladini, the, 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 the cognitive and the um, um, what would you say, emotional or um, ecstatic uh, features or aspects, qualities of the internal energy, the Surup Shakti, when they make ingress into the Jiva who is situated in Sudasattva, Sudasattva Visheshatma, on the, on the plane of Sudasattva, on pure existence, this is the dawning of Bhav, uh, then. It is a ray of the, of the sun of Prema. So when we speak of Sudasattva, we speak of Sandini. So we have Sandini, Samvit, and Ladini, three aspects or qualities of the uh, internal energy, the Surup Shakti, 
So the Sandini Shakti means it's the existential. You have the you, you have the, co- the existential, the cognitive, and the ecstatic. You know, loving, being, knowing, loving, Satchitananda, being, Sandini, uh, is being. Sandini is sought on steroids. Okay, then you have chit, and and then you have chit on steroids. That's some of it. Hmm. Then you have um, Ananda, Ananda on steroids. That's Ladini, hmm. and so I mean you could be such an Ananda and, do, and and have no uh, Brahman is such an Ananda, but there's nothing going on there that, that like the extraordinary leelas, the charm and beauty of Krishna Lila, or even of Vaikuntha. So there. The, the Srup Shakti is more prominent. So uh, at any rate, it has these three aspects. So Sudha Sattva, purified goodness, does not mean some purified form of Raja of Sattva Guna. It's a different uh, Shakti altogether. It's not any comp- composed of anything that the Maya Shakti is constituted of, which includes Sattva Guna. It's com- it's it, it's, it involves the spiritual world, only that which is composed of the internal energy that has components that could be comparative. You know, so if you, if you, if you say that the spiritual world on the base level is Satchitananda, Brahman, on the extension of that, it's Sandini, Samvit, Ladini, and the material world under the influence of Maya Shakti, is Asat, Achit, Nirananda. Hmm? So there's a there's a there's a difference. Hmm? So Sudha Sattva does not mean Sattva Guna. It means the internal energy that's presided over by by Baladev. Hmm? Therefore, we as we I cited the other day, Tat Anantamsa Sambhavam. Brahma Samhita, that Balaram through Ananta expands Goloka, manifests the Goloka, the Dham. That's the function of Sandini Shakti, that is, uh, which is a synonym for Sudhasattva or Vishuddhasattva. Very, very special uh, existential uh, content. Does that help? Yes, thank you. That's a very comprehensive answer. Thank hey. you, Mark. Jai. Bhakti Shakti Ki Jai. Hi. Um, Pamanabhaswami, do you want to ask um, one of the questions from the Spanish-speaking devotees? In which stage is one no longer fallen and free from Maya? Mm-hmm. Within the stages um, articulated by Rupa Gosami in Bhaktura Samrita Sindhu, beginning with Shraddha, Adho Shraddha, Tata, Sadhu Sangha, I assume you're referring to these um, stages. Um, the liberated status, if you will, um, within those stages is the stage of Bhava Bhakti. In Bhava Bhakti, 
bhakti is is mature in that both both the active and the emotive aspects of bhakti are prominent and in fact the active feature of bhakti is driven by its own emotive feature so active is are like hearing and chanting these are activities that we perform with the senses in bhava bhakti those activities are driven by the emotive aspect of bhakti that hasn't kicked in in the prior stages to the extent that all of one's active engagement in bhakti is driven by that emotion some you may there may be some emotion in ruchi and asakti even nishta even before that hmm? Uh, we get some experience, some some um, abhas, uh, semblance of bhava, and we think, oh, this is otherworldly. Hmm? Some tears may come, some maybe hairs may stand on end, um, um, and so forth. But it's not lasting. It's not enduring. It comes, and, and then our material conditioning take takes over. And so there's a there's sadhana is engagement in bhakti with the senses, and in the stage of nishta, hmm, that is large that engagement with the senses is largely driven by uh, spiritual intelligence hmm, that doesn't allow the mind and the senses to get the better of one. Hmm. Um, such that one deviates from one's practice and so forth. So prior to Nishta, there's there's this kind of learning curve. There's this up and down. When we come to Nishta, then, then not only the senses are engaged, but the intellect is fully engaged and, and spiritualized, such that there's 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 little scope for deviation. Now one's not liberated, but in that stage, there's little scope for deviation, because although there are seeds for of material desire that's still in the heart, the water of bhakti is being poured on them constantly through the consistent nature of practice in that stage. So they have little opportunity to, to fructify. So a person in this stage could be considered an intermediate devotee, a madhyamadikari. Hmm? And he or she's practice is driven by spiritual intelligence and because of that consistent practice, there's much more consistent experience of emotions or a semblance of bhava, which is very powerful in itself. This could be compared to um, someone who has both feet in this world, but his or her eyes are always on the spiritual world. Give another example. It could be compared to someone who is not standing on the sun, but is moving west fast enough that is always in the light of the sun. His goal is to reach the sun, but at a certain point, he or she is going fast enough to the west that they're always in the light of the sun, although not there yet. So that 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 is a significant uh, stage in in spiritual progress. And from that kind of consistent engagement, taste arises, hmm? ruchi. So these are the upper 
stages of sadhana bhakti. And in, in Ruchi, the taste is, is specific in relation to a particular um, rasa. Hmm? Uh, the taste is refined because, in, because why? Because in Nishta, the practice is refined. Hmm? The practice becomes more focused. The ideal become, comes into mind with the spiritual intelligence, having studied the scripture and heard from the sadhus. So the goal is fixed up. So one practices in such a way, consistently, hmm, focused appropriately on where I am in terms of what I have to do to attain that particular goal. So when Ruchi comes, then the taste there corresponds with the nature of the goal. Hmm? And that's, that's, that stage of Ruchi, uh, one is the seeds of material desire that were still existing in the heart in Nishta are now gone. Therefore, Mahaprabhu characterizes that stage with his statement, Nadanam, Nadanam, Nasundarim, Kavitamba. I don't have any desire for um, that which the world is driven by, Dharma, Artha, Kama. I don't even have a desire for moksha, he says. I have a hoituki unmotivated desire for bhakti only. Bhakti for its own sake. So now, in this stage, one's heart has spiritual desire. In Bhakti Vinod's language, in his Bhakti Tattva Vivek, he says one who has attained Ruchi is a Shudha. Shudabhakta, the pure devotee. But still he or she is in the stage of sadhana. Hmm? Hasn't attained bhava yet. Hmm? Pujapachita Maharaj used to say, who's attained ruchi, that devotee is safe. Still, technically speaking, relative to your question, that devotee is not liberated yet. Hmm? But that devotee, she's driven by, by a taste um, by attachment to bhakti, hmm? attachment to bhakti. Instead of attachment to material things, now one is attachment to bhakti. Now what, that would re- what results from that is the attachment in, in bhakti with a particular taste results in becoming attached to the object of love that that bhakti corresponds with. So if it's sakya bhav or it's madhurya bhav, then there's a certain picture, if you will, of Krishna, hmm? or Krishna manifests in a, in a way that corresponds with that bhava, that subjective vision, hmm? with certain qualities, and so on and so forth. And he is then the object of that bhakti. So from Ruchi, where one is attached to bhakti, one becomes attached to the bhakti plus attachment to the object of bhakti. Now, in the stage of going back before nishta, in anishta, when one's practice is not consistent, then it's not consistent because things come up in the mind, we have desires in the heart, and they take us out. Hmm? We're chanting, but our mind takes us out. We find we're somewhere else. Oh, come back and chant. In asakti, the opposite is happening. Hmm? So thoughts about Krishna are coming in relation to ordinary things. One seeing Krishna 
where other people aren't. Like he sees some movement in nature, a tree falls, a deer moves. He thinks Krishna's be, it must've done that because of this and that. His mind just kind of goes automatically there. And other people look at him like, you're a little crazy. You know, that, that tree fell because, you know, because another tree hit it or something like that. Okay? So his mind is automatically going towards Krishna and, exp and explaining, looking at everything that happens as if Krishna's behind it, something like that. So these stages, Mishta, Ruchi, and Asakti, and one progressively more than the other, are very uh, advanced, are advanced stages of bhakti. Hmm? Um, and they're all beginning with Nishta up to Asakti, I think representative of a devotee who has to use an, an analogy, both feet here, but his eyes are always there or always, as I said, moving westward, always in, in, the, in the rays of the sun. Now it's possible by circumstance, um, a fence could occur or, or something that one could fall from there, but, but it's unlikely. Hmm? And, and such persons are in a good position to help others and helping others may also help them hmm? as well. Uh, they would be, they would be stingy not to help others, not to share. Hmm? And the sharing then in those stages that they're capable of doing of knowledge about bhakti sambandagyan and affording others their association and thus their example, that sharing causes their own bhakti to grow. Hmm? Um, so typically we find devotees will uh, be uh, in, in a position of, let's say, sharing, teaching, initiating, and so forth in this intermediate stage that we could say covers these, these three, nishta, ruchi, asakti. When one now goes beyond asakti and enters into bhava bhakti, hmm? Uh, then he's liberated, she's liberated. Hmm? But in bhava bhakti, there's a sadhana, the culture of that bhava hmm? that uh, results in prem, hmm? which is the culmination. So there's a beginning to bhava and an end to bhava, bhava ending in the stage of prem bhakti. But in bhava bhakti, one is, is considered liberated in this world and again his or her activities which are all bhakti performed with the sense are driven by spiritual emotion when we give the three you know that could be seen to follow the analogy someone in bhava bhakti as a person who has one foot here and one foot there earlier we had two feet here and my and the eyes were there now one foot here and extending another foot there in Prem Bhakti, one attains Swarup Siddhi and um, it's possible that having entered into Prem Bhakti, into the Leela of the Lord, one might come here like Narada. He comes back. So he's got both feet there, he extends one foot here, something like that. We can use the stages of Kanishta, Madhyam, Uttam, but we need more nuance. So 
we have Kanishta Kanishta, Madhyam Kanishta, Uttam Kanishta. Then we have a Kanishta Madhyam, Madhyam Madhyam, Uttam Madhyam, Kanishta Uttam, Madhyam Uttam, Uttam Uttam, 108 shades of gray, or however many. So um, that's my answer. I hope it helps. Pamanabha okay. Swami, do you want to ask the other question from the Spanish-speaking devotees? So, the, how should we, members of the Bhaktivinoda Paribar, look at the lineage coming from Nityananda Prabhu? Prabhupada seems to have said that we should keep a distance from that line. That's the question. Um, well, I think that during the time of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, the lineage thought to be the bloodline of Nityananda Prabhu, which is a questionable idea in itself. Um, but um, nonetheless, there are those who claim to be part of the bloodline of Nityananda Prabhu, um, the Nityananda Vamsa. Vamsa is a, is a term, means the family. So, so um, they, in, in Bengal at that time, the, it, it, it seems from the writings of Bhaktivinod and other supportive writings and even academic investigation um, gives some support to this idea that, the, that these lines or this line was not um, entirely spiritually vital and it became more hereditary, the succession, rather than a succession based on spiritual qualification. So if you were the son, uh, if you were the wife and the guru passed, then you would become the guru just because you were in the same family, whether you had the spiritual qualifications or not. So the succession should not be based on anything other than spiritual qualification. If it's based on something less than that, um, you know, the, the bloodline, well, obviously that's uh, questionable. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, at the time, it, 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 uh, such line coming from Nityananda Prabhu was not spiritually vital. Um, there is a, there's an instance to give an example of this. I think Keshava Maharaj, uh, who was a disciple of Bhakti Siddhanta Sasitakur, came in that family lineage. Hmm. And um, so he, he knew quite a bit about it. There's a story, I, I'm afraid now I can't remember it all, but um, he made it, um, I think he wanted to accomplish something for the mission and he was met with some opposition perhaps by some administrative powers. And so then he invoked the fact that he was a, a blood in the bloodline of Nityananda Prabhu. And so he said, I'm in the bloodline of Nityananda Prabhu. And if you drink my urine, you will spiritually benefit. 
Hmm. And, the, and the fellow said, oh yeah, if you're in the bloodline of Nityananda, then you're okay, go ahead here, I'll sign the paper, something like that. And again, again, just kind of paraphrasing, but um, so it, it illustrates the extent to which people in general, simple people were uninformed, they lacked sambandhagyan, they lacked siksha, and this line was giving diksha, and they would invoke statements like, well, we're the family line of Nityanandapur, which said that for so many generations after Nityanandapur, all these people are liberate, will, will be liberated, so we're all liberated. And, and meanwhile, the people weren't getting sufficient sambandhagyan, they weren't progressing, there was a lot of misunderstanding, and so forth. So Bhaktivinoda, uh, you know, objected to such, and Bhaktisiddhanta as well, and they started to, Bhaktivinoda attempted to um, um, acquire spiritual authority in the eyes of the public hmm, and take it away from such lineages. And it wasn't, there were other ones like that as well. So uh, what Prabhupada's statements that you refer to are about are should be looked at more broadly that wherever there are lineages that are spiritually lacking in vitality to the extent that they may be harming rather than helping the disciples these should be um, avoided hmm? it doesn't mean to say that anyone in that line is is, is bad um, in any line there can be bad and there can be good. There can be misrepresentation in our line in the Bhaktivinoda Party Bar. And, um, and there can be good in it as well. And so similarly uh, with, with, with other lines. Um, and, it, you know, it, it, it's a little bit... Um, it's nuanced, so I've given a very extreme example by which it might be easy for anyone to recognize this is not a, a line that I should, you know, entertain Siksha from. They don't even know the philosophy. Okay, but there are other subtleties where they may know a fair amount of the philosophy and so forth. Um, there's some one devotee now in the Nityananda Paribar that's, uh, I saw him on, on YouTube that some Western devotees have taken shelter of and so forth. And he's critical of Prabhupada. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, I avoid him. And, and I've listened to a couple of his talks and really, he doesn't, he knows some things, but a lot of things he doesn't know and he's, he's got wrong uh, and so forth. So, you know, it, it requires a little more spiritual education and experience to make a determination whom I should associate with and who not. And so we can't just give a blanket answer necessarily, but with good association, uh, seeking the shelter of uh, more advanced devotees, we can inquire about um, persons whom we might wonder whether they're uh, worth associating with or not and get, a, and get a good answer if we can't determine that. Hmm? I hope that helps. Taras, do you want to ask your question? 
Well, it wouldn't be complete without a question from Tadas. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Um, so um, the question would be like this. Um, um, uh, devotees, they are doing um, um, service to Krishna because they are driven by bhakti. Or in other words, they are driven by Radha. And in your lectures, I have heard that if the bhakti is in your heart, so that means that Radharani is in your heart. So the question would be about Balaram. He is doing his service to Krishna also. So does it mean that he is driven by Radharani? If she, like the bhakti is in his heart? Or if not, so who then is driving him to do the service to Krishna? Well, when we say, sometimes I've said there's a little bit of Radha in every devotee, that means that bhakti is constituted of the, as I mentioned earlier, the Sandini, Samvit, Ladini Shakti. Ladini Shakti is fully expressed in the personified form as Radha. Mm -hmm. So, uh, she is also sometimes referred to as Bhakti Devi, the goddess of Bhakti. So whoever has Bhakti has a little Radha's, a little, a little of Radha's influence. She's the fullest expression of, of Bhakti. Hmm. So um, now you take Balram, you're talking about God, hmm. right? Um, and he's a particular manifestation of the Godhead, who, although he is God, has a relationship with God in the form of Krishna as a friend and serves him. So he, although he's ontologically the Vishnu Tattva, in some respects, he's acting like Shakti Tattva, serving Krishna. He's the object of love also, that's true, but he's also an example of love in the form of Sakibhav. Mm -hmm. So peculiar. Yeah. But uh, yes, I mean, we would say that he is, um, he is the Godhead influenced in a particular way by Bhakti. I mean, Krishna is also the god influenced in a particular way by bhakti. If you take away bhakti out of the equation, you don't have Krishna anymore. What is the meaning to an object of love if there's no love? Hmm? When you take away love of God, the object of love disappears too. It becomes just nirvisesh, Brahman. Hmm? So as much as the much as Brahman, God, is influenced by Swarup Shakti, his internal Shakti, the more he takes shape, the more he becomes active. And this takes the, the form of Leela and so forth. So just like Krishna is also under the influence of Bhakti, Balaram is also under the influence of Bhakti. The very form of Krishna is a manifestation of his Swarup Shakti, as I'm explaining. So similarly, yes, I mean, it's not a question, is, is Radharani, Radharani is in the heart of every do, 
sure he's emotional. Sure, sure, Balaram loves Radharani. He loves her in a different way than Krishna loves her. Hmm? Mostly he, he loves her with parental bhav. There's parental bhav in, in, in Balaram hmm? also. Hmm? Uh, clustered together with his sakya bhav and, and dasya bhav. So typically, more characteristically in the texts of the Goswamis, he is depicted as having parental, some parental affection for the for the for the girlfriend of his older brother, of his younger brother. Hmm? Hmm? So yeah, he loves Radharani, which is kind of your question. Is Radharani his heart? I mean, yeah, sure. Krishna's in his heart too. <laughs> Jai. What else? Um, I don't know if this is a follow-up question in the chat, but um, Chandana asked, what is the difference among one expansion and one incarnation? Well, I think um, that there's a difference, and this may be what you're referring to, uh, between an expansion and an avatar. Sometimes we refer to an avatar as an incarnation of God, right? So the avatara, avatara, tara means to cross. So avatara means to cross from up to down. So within the spiritual world, the Paravyom, there are expansions of the Godhead. The original Krishna, for example, expands as Balaram. The emotion of fraternal love manifests in the form of Balaram. For other Leelas, he expands in different ways. He has his expansion in Vaikuntha as Narayan for accepting love that is reverential in Dasya and, and Shantabhav. Hmm? So these are all expansions of the Godhead within the spiritual world, which is variegated. So because it's variegated, it means the nature of the love is there are different types of that. And so there are different forms of Krishna that correspond with those types of love. So there are different realms hmm, and different expansions of the Godhead corresponding with that type of bhakti, a particular type of bhakti. When you come to Vaikuntha, then within Vaikuntha, you have the desire of Narayan to bestow mukti, but everyone there is already a mukta. So as I've explained, for the purpose of facilitating that desire, the Mahasankarshan and Vaikuntha, one of the expansions of the Godhead there, becomes the original avatar, the incarnation, called the Purusha avatar, Mahavishnu. And then Mahavishnu expands as, as Garbhadaksha Vishnu and Shuradaksha Vishnu. And through these Purusha avatar, then the Leela avatars come into the world. Hmm. and the guna avatars and the yuga avatars so all these are avatar they're all crossing from up to down so they're existing in some form in, this, in the spiritual world and then in the form they appear in the material world that's an incarnation and before doing that or when they exist when they function only in the power of them in the spiritual world then they're considered a prakash an expansion so for, let's look at the panchatattva for example we have Krishna Chaitanya himself, who's the original Godhead. Then you have the original expansion 
for pastimes, Nityananda, who's Balaram. Hmm? And then you have the original avatar, who's Advaita, Mahavishnu, the first avatar. Hmm? Then of course you have the you have the Shaktis of Bhakti Shakti as Garadhar and Tatasta Shakti as Shivastakur. So you have everything. It's a, that's a you know a further subject. I hope that answers the question. The difference between expansions and incarnations. Here I'm referring to incarnations as avatars. What else? Um, Sumati, do you want to ask your question? <laughs> um, Guru Maharaj, the other day when you were speaking about Lord Nityananda and you were saying how he was taken as a child from the home of his father by a sannyasi, and I think you mentioned that the sannyasi was Lakshmi Pati Tirtha. Then I was reading in a magazine that Madhavananda Prabhu puts out and he was saying that the um, Gaur Govinda Maharaj said that that sannyasi that took Nityananda was Lord Chaitanya's older brother who had left home, Vishwarup. I can't remember his sanya, Shankar Ananya, maybe was his sannyasi name. And then um, I read that Srila Sridhar Maharaj said that the sannyasi that took Lord Nityananda was Madhavendra Puri. First of all, I didn't say that the sannyasi who took Nityananda Prabhu was Lakshmi Patitirtha. Some people, I might have said some people make a conjecture like that, possibly. Mm -hmm. Some say Madhavendra Puri. I never heard the Shankar Aranya one. Yeah, I never heard that before either. That's a new one. Um, what I did say was that we don't know who the sannyasi was. We, and we hear from Bhakti Ratnakar which is the first kind of historical book from within the group of devotees about the history of the, of the devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and what happened to them after the passing of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and so forth. In that book, it's, re, it's related, as I mentioned, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu met um, Lakshmi, or Nityananda Prabhu met Lakshmi Patitirtha in uh, Maharashtra, Pandrapar. Oh, right, right. So he met him there. So based on that account, he would not have been a sannyasi who took him from his home. Chidamars once said, maybe it was Madhavendra Puri. I don't think that that would be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree, I wouldn't, I wouldn't come to that conclusion. It's a possibility. I wouldn't come to that conclusion. Um, and there's no evidence to support it, but it, it, it's, it's not an unreasonable conjecture. As far as the conjecture of Gaur Govinda Marsh, that does not seem well uh, founded. And uh, I've, of course, never heard any support for that. It would be have been very uh, significant um, um, and worth mentioning. It's uh, stated in Chaitanya Charitamrita that he went south. That's true. Um, and um, and that he passed passed away, and at that time merged back into Nityananda Prabhu. But um, I don't know of any any scriptural evidence for that. I mean, it's it's a it's another uh, conjecture, but I I would 
I wouldn't make that conjecture myself. I, I don't fault him for doing it, but. So we don't know. Some unknowns and we'll see. Fill in the blank and give your, just, your, your reasoning and we'll consider it. What else? I see hey. here's a question from Manishta. Yeah. Mataji's is said, devotees, as if the two are different. <laughs> um, I have a question. How can one keep the path of seva to cultivate bhakti once we have realized there is a personal benefit by serving pure devotees? How can we find a way now to see a personal gain? So it sounds like that the thinking behind the question is that we should serve without a desire for personal gain. Hmm? But that when, when we understand more about bhakti, we understand that there's a lot to gain from bhakti and that by associating with devotees, we, we can gain. So how can we pursue bhakti and associate with devotees and avoid the desire for personal gain. Hmm. That seems to be the question. And the answer to that is that when uh, the term personal gain is mentioned, what it refers to is the personal gain in terms of our identity, materially speaking, our identity born under the modes of nature, our, our identity as a result of associating with the Maya Shakti, our psych, psychophysiological makeup and sense of being that we're trying to deconstruct through bhakti. It's a false personality that's here today and gone tomorrow. It's a karmic uh, construction, right? And so uh, uh, spiritual life is not about growing that, but about deconstructing it. Therefore, it's said that, that, that less is more. That's a Zen saying, but the, but the adage applies. Hmm? Material acquisition, material gain, material profit, distinction, profit, adoration, and so forth. This is what is being referred to when we speak about personal benefit. Hmm? What it's not referring to is spiritual benefit. Hmm? for you as an Atma. And you should desire spiritual benefit. It is the antithesis of material benefit. The more we benefit spiritually, the more we gain spiritually, the more we lose our appetite for material acquisition. We see the vacuous nature of it and we find how, how fulfilling and robust comparatively, categorically different is uh, spiritual progress. It makes us feel small, but, but big and privileged and honored and blessed at the same time. Hmm? We feel, we feel very insignificant, but, but empowered hmm? by connection with the greater person. Hmm? Um, when I was a young, young boy, we lived in a rural area and in the winter, the lakes froze over, so we used to go ice skating. And when we would go ice skating, my brother and I, we were close in age, my older brother, 
there were some older kids in a neighborhood. It was a very small neighborhood, but there were some older kids and they would, they would bully us because we were smaller, you know? So it was intimidating because, you know, you wanted to go ice skating. So then one day my father came out and ice skated with us. Now we hadn't changed our position, but we, then we, you know, made faces at them and circled around those older boys and they couldn't do anything. Hmm. We weren't any bigger, but by association, we were bigger. Hmm. So the Atma becomes, realizes how small it is hmm, through the culture of bhakti and how big is its, great is its prospect. So there's even a pride in bhakti, proud to be a humble devotee, that I'm, a, that I'm, that I'm, that I'm considered a humble, you know, insignificant member and proud to be uh, somehow connected with uh, this, uh, this sampradaya and this, 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 this opportunity. So we want spiritual benefit. We want spiritual um, progress. That is the antithesis of material progress. We shouldn't misconstrue the desire for spiritual progress to be what is being referred to when we say that we should do bhakti without any gain. We should do bhakti to gain more bhakti. Hmm? We should be greedy. Even the term greed is used. Bhaktivinotakra said we should beg, borrow, or steal to get a taste of the holy name. Hmm? So you got to be pretty ambitious, <laughs> if you will. When I find somebody that, that's a little pushy to get association, I find it a little attractive. Hmm? If she comes or he comes and pushes himself a little bit. It's got some positive, you know, drive, you know, to, to um, uh, progress in this uh, field. So, so that's how to think about that. Yes, we, we want personal spiritual benefit. So with that, we come to an end of the session. And I think that's the last of the questions too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Good timing. That's, yeah. Thank you so much for all your answers. You're very welcome. Thank you all for the questions. I hope to be with you again next next week. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Can you all stay on for just a minute? I just had a couple of announcements. So um, starting in March, I think March 8th, um, there's going to be more opportunities for hearing every day. Um, and it's going to be from more um, Padmanabha Swami has been um, wanting to spread out the mercy so we get to know each other more in the Sangha. We can get more, you know, more perspectives from different devotees. So for next month, um, this is the schedule. Um, we haven't gotten the links yet. He'll be sending the links out tomorrow. So Nanda Kumar will be, he'll be posting those. Thank you up there. Um, so this is this, I'll read the schedule through so everybody can have some idea of what, what's the coming um, classes. So Mondays at 1130, we'll continue to be Paminava Swami's Vaishnav etiquette classes. Um, Tuesday at 11.30, Ashram Swami will be doing Sharanagati, The Path of Surrender. It's a new series that he'll be doing in March. Um, Wednesdays 
11.30, Dulal Chandra will be doing Krishna Sandarbha. Um, Thursdays, 11.30, Amanava Swami Vaishnava Etiquette. Those are his same two days that he's been doing. Um, Fridays, Rigupad Das will be doing Mana Shiksha, Instructions to the Mind. And on Saturdays, 11.30, Gora Sundar will be doing an overview of Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Chapter 2. And Sundays, of course, we'll have our usual Q&A with, um, with Shura Bibi Tripuri Swami. So um, lots of opportunities to increase our hearing, um, which will increase everything else if we're hearing more. Um, and then the other um, announcement for next month to put on your calendar is that um, on Gaur Praneem, um, Gumaraj will be giving class at 11.30 Eastern Standard Time. And also March 27th, which is his Vyas Puja Day, he will be giving class um, at 11.30 Eastern Standard Time. So... Those are the updates for the Sangha. And I was going to ask devotees, this is just kind of my own curiosity and something that Paminava Swami and I are going to speak about when he comes here. Um, we're really trying to tap into the needs of the Sangha as a community. We want to be able to help build relationships and um, just increase yeah, the the, the sense of community that, that we have. Um, so if anybody has any requests or um, ideas, they can email me at archinacity at yahoo.com. I'm putting it in the chat. Okay, thank you. Um, so that would be great. I'd love to hear from you all. Um, and we'll try to you know, honor people's needs as much as possible going forward. Um, so, my dear devotees, thank you so much for being on, and thank you, Radhana, for doing a lovely job of hosting. Thanks. Can you wrap it up? Um, okay, I guess I'm just going to stop recording everything. Okay, um, thank you, everyone, for coming. Very nice. <laughs> Yeah, Archana with an H, her email. Yeah. Not with an H. It doesn't have an H in it? Not, it doesn't have an H in, it in your email? Because I, I know sometimes it'll, you'll spell it with an H and sometimes you won't. Oh, for my, my name. Yeah, just take out the H in the Archana City that, that he posted there and um, and maybe you could put whoever puts up stuff on Facebook could put that up as well. There, now she's got the right link on there now. Or the right email address. So we'd love to hear from you all, so don't be shy. Hare Krishna, Ashana City. Hare Krishna. Um, Hare Krishna. 